23andMe just sold your genetics, why you won't be getting a cut. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have something of a different topic to discuss in virtual legality. Still terms and conditions based, still law based. But if you're anything like me, you're regularly looking at news items on the internet or maybe on cable news. I'm regularly looking at tech news, business news, and something popped up in my feed that I thought was relatively interesting. And it relates to the genetic testing company 23andMe. Now, if you're not familiar with this company, they've been around for a while. I think they were one of the first, if not the first companies that basically asked you to submit, I think it's saliva, and they will test your DNA. Uh, And they've been busy compiling a database of markers for good things and bad things that might relate to uh, your health situation, as well as kind of trying to identify your ancestry. Uh, And in so doing, as you might imagine, they have been collecting this vast, vast database of personal genetic information. So now we're in the year 2020, And for the longest time, I think this was known by some people, but maybe not people that thought about the product uh, entirely. For the longest time, they have been trying to shop that database, market that database for use by big pharmaceutical companies to develop either drugs directly, diagnostic materials, devices, whatever it might be to hopefully help improve people's health, but from 23andMe's perspective, to license that out uh, for money because 23andMe isn't a drug manufacturer, isn't necessarily strictly a research and development company. They have this product and they undoubtedly have research things that go along with it, but to license it out. And earlier this week, for the first time, they actually finally did that. So I've pulled up this Bloomberg article that says, 23andMe licenses its own drug compound to Spanish firm Almeral. 23andMe Inc., the Silicon Valley firm known for its ancestry DNA tests, has licensed an antibody it developed to treat inflammatory diseases to Spanish drug maker Almeral SA. The deal announced by Almeral in a filing with Spanish regulators on Thursday marks the first time that 23andMe has licensed a drug compound that it has developed itself. This is a seminal moment for 23andMe, said Emily Drabant Conley, Vice President of Business Development. We are now gone from database to discovery to developing a drug. Leveraging its genetic data to develop drugs has become an increasingly important part of 23andMe's business. More than 10 million customers have taken its DNA tests, and that trove of data can help illuminate new drug targets to treat disease. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the way drugs are developed, it's a very, very long process, but it involves a lot of testing. And one of the very earliest pieces of that kind of testing pathway is figuring out what to attack and what to identify as a problem uh, in given people and with given health concerns. And so if you've got a 10 million user database of genetic information and potentially can relate that to what health issues they're going through and what can be attacked with a specific compound and something that you can develop as a drug, then yes, that has an inherent value to it. But that's only part of the story, right? I think if this wasn't genetic testing, if this was just their own research and they were doing it with uh, normal kind of processes, there would be very little to talk about here. But the way they got this database was to go and market a product that wasn't ostensibly solely for research, if people were even aware that it was at all for research, but was instead a product that was designed to give people their own individual information. 
Hey, I want to know where my family is from. Hey, I want to know if I carry a marker for genetic disease X, et cetera, et cetera. They sold that product to people and it was an ancillary result that they collated this entire database. So there are some people that say that the folks that gave this data weren't fully aware of what it was they were signing over, the value of what it was they were signing over. So I've pulled up a science alert uh, blog post here that talks about the nature of this question. They talk about the sale that we just talked about. And then it says, currently, if 23andMe's new drug candidate makes it through human trials and ends up becoming a blockbuster drug for something like lupus or psoriasis, the enormous profit such a discovery could entail would never end up in the hands of the consumers. Some patient advocates argue that these contracts are deceiving and that many consumers have no idea how profitable their personal information can be. And then they go and they talk about Almorol being worth almost a billion dollars that obviously if you're familiar with pharmaceutical manufacturer, if you have a successful drug, you're going to make a fortune in the field. One of the issues is that it costs so much to bring a drug to market that a lot of these companies struggle with that. But if they can cut out a certain portion of their research and development costs, like, for instance, licensing this genetic information from a company like 23andMe, that could be a boon to them, that could be helpful. And I think if we're being generous, if we're really kind of thinking about society on the whole, you know, more and better drugs that can help more and more people is in general a good thing. We're talking about kind of an ancillary argument about this. We want these drugs to be created. We want people to get better. We want medicine to be able to better attack the things that could be affecting folks. But did these folks know that they were signing over exactly what they were signing over? And it's worth discussing because 23andMe is old enough that I think it kind of predates some of the sensitivity that we now have to personal information in general. Personal health information specifically is obviously the highest level of information that we protect both in the United States and I think elsewhere around the world. But just data in general, I think people are very sensitive to where that data is going, what it's doing. And even if they want to allow for something, like maybe it's okay to exchange the data on Facebook for the fact that you get a free service and you like the service that's provided. That's not for me to judge. And honestly, if you're listening to this or you're watching this on YouTube, it's not necessarily for you to judge in the aggregate except for yourself. But they might be okay with that in full knowledge of what's happening. There is an argument that 23andMe and the way their contracts work and because it's so old uh, and appeals to a kind of different demographic base than just the people that are constantly dealing with data and terms and conditions and terms of service, it's possible that you could argue that they hid the ball a little bit. And we're going to actually look at the terms of service that 23andMe is at least using right now uh, because I think that's a worthwhile discussion. And there are some doozies of risk factors in their contract that I want to talk about just because I've never seen them before in a contract. And I always think that's interesting from a legal perspective. But the overall argument is, hey, even if this contract says you're not going to make any profits over this, should they? And you know, I'm a commercial lawyer. I'm a corporate lawyer. I look at contracts every day and I say, no, if you sign those rights away, then they're, they're gone. Uh, and you wouldn't have any expectation when you purchased a $200 kit from 23andMe that in 10 years time, your data could be aggregated and used for some purpose that would result in one, two, three, five billion dollars going to 23andMe and you should get a cut of that. Because part of this story is also the nature of scope, right? Your individual genetic information probably isn't terribly useful for the development of a drug because there's so much kind of noise that goes with the signal that you could provide. It's when it's aggregated with 10 million other people 
that you get kind of more useful data, more useful scientific information. So there's really a balancing test to go into this argument at all. But I did find it interesting and I did want to look at what they're actually saying in their terms and conditions because, hey, maybe if you signed up for 23andMe and you got one of these kits, I haven't, uh, we haven't done that in my family, and you've gotten one of these kits, you didn't even know that this is what could happen uh, and that you were signing away these rights and that this was part of 23andMe's business model. Uh, so let's take a look at that. This article goes on a little bit further, kind of detailing the arguments on both sides of whether or not this makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I wanted to take a look at the terms of service. We've got an update date for these of September 30th, 2019. So in these terms of service, we see a lot of definitions. We see a lot of language. We're going to skip most of this. We don't want to bore anybody in virtual legality. We don't want people to click off here because we're only reading long sets of definitions that don't mean anything in isolation. But I did want to skip down to a few things here. First, so they've got the kind of standard what you're doing. You're, you're going to buy a kit. We're going to process your genetics. Uh, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you some information. Uh, but there are risks associated with this information. And I thought that was a really interesting set of risks. These are actually dovetail with what I usually read in maybe financial statement risks or uh, private offering risks where you kind of detail exactly what might be an issue with your business model in a kind of narrative way. And this is very unusual, as you know, since you've been watching virtual legality for a year now, that it's very unusual for language like this to be narrative and presented to customers or prospective customers uh, in a manner like this. So let's take a look at the risks that they actually describe here. Once you obtain your genetic information, the knowledge is irrevocable. There are no takebacks. Once you find this out, you're going you're gonna to know whatever it is that it says. You should not assume that any information we may be able to provide to you, whether now or as genetic research advances, will be welcome or positive. We could actually put in our reports that you have 13 different markers for cancer. You should also understand that as research advances in order for you to assess the meaning of your DNA, you may need to obtain further services from us or your physician, somebody else. We encourage you to talk to a genetic counselor to understand these various things. In other words, this might be terrible, terrible information, and you should know that before you give us $200. Some people can feel anxious about getting their health results. This is normal. If you feel very anxious, you should seek guidance from a counselor or a physician. You may learn information about yourself that you did not anticipate. This information may evoke strong emotions and has the potential to alter your life and worldview. I want a survey of the number of contracts and terms of service in the world for any different service that has the sentence, what we do for you has the potential to alter your life and worldview. Now that is a risk factor. And I saw this while I was reading through this and preparing for this video. And I said, I got to highlight that because that is a crazy sentence to have in a legal contract. You may discover things about yourself that trouble you and that you may not have the ability to control or change, such as your father is not genetically your father, surprising facts related to your ancestry, or that someone with your genotype may have a higher than average chance of developing a specific condition or disease. These outcomes could have social, legal, or economic implications. Economic implications. I guess legal and economic implications could relate to uh, the paternity uh, and, and things of that nature, but it's, it's quite the risk factor, right? So they're trying to outline the ways in which they should not be held liable. 
because they're going to present you with this test. It's going to establish that you have 15 different ways of getting cancer, that your father is not your father, and that you're actually from six different countries that you never knew that you were from. And that's going to alter your entire worldview, might cause trouble for you. And if that does cause trouble for you, they shouldn't be liable for the $200 kit that they sold you. But it's very, very interesting because you can see that they're trying to get in front of some of these things. They then have some more standard risk factors. We may not be able to process your sample. You shouldn't change your health behaviors based on what we tell you. Our research isn't comprehensive. If you share it with someone, it could be used against you, right? If you go and you tell your employer that you're very likely to develop a chronic condition in a year from now, uh, then they might be less inclined to invest in leadership training or other training for your uh, employment. And while that might be illegal and we could get into a different video on that, you shouldn't come after 23andMe for that issue. And frankly, you should keep your information secret. That's part of what they say in this risk factor as well. We don't provide medical advice. We are not a uh, medical provider. All this stuff that you would expect. Then we get to the user representations. You understand that we're not diagnosing something. You give permission to us to process your stuff. Uh, you are guaranteeing that what you are giving to us is yours, uh, which is interesting. I think it's a useful kind of bit of the legal language. I don't know if any of you who are watching this have used 23andMe to try to submit saliva from someone else, but don't do that. It's, a, it's against their terms of service. Um, and finally, what I wanted to highlight here, because this is going to get to the crux of the issue that we started discussing, which is, should you get any money and should you be allowed to have your genetics used for by 23andMe to be sold for the production of a drug from somebody else? It says, you understand that all your personal information, which will include your genetic uh, information, will be stored in our databases and will be processed in accordance with the 23andMe privacy statement, which, as you know from following virtual legality in the past, means that we have to pop over to the privacy statement, where we have about 15 pages of information, but one specific area that we want to focus on, which is that you will, if you agree to this portion of their use of your data, you will agree to allow them to share your personal information for research purposes. And it says, you have the choice to participate in 23andMe research by providing your consent. 23andMe research refers to research aimed at publication in peer-reviewed journals and other research funded by the federal government, conducted by 23andMe. Now, some of those are limiting bits of language. Ultimately, what it means is you allow your data to be used for their research. It doesn't necessarily require it to be specifically aimed at journals because it has the inclusive term other research. And I don't really think it requires it to be funded by the federal government because it's only really operatively conducted by 23andMe, but they use some of those extra bits of language to make it seem a little bit more benign, right? I think their understanding of the fact that saying, hey, if you click this box, we are going to be able to potentially sell your data to Big Pharma is going to be looked at maybe a little bit less uh, genteely than if we say, hey, we want to do this for peer-reviewed journals. We want to help people's health. The government is behind a lot of this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they frame it in a very specific way. I don't think that's deceptive necessarily, uh, but it is certainly kind of trying to tilt the playing field towards you checking this box. And we're going to see how successful that was in just a second. 23andMe research may be sponsored by, conducted on behalf of, or in collaboration with third parties. Very important here, right? Such as nonprofit foundations, academic institutions, or pharmaceutical companies right? You can see how that sentence is ordered. Again, they want to not 
have you think too hard about pharmaceutical companies because that's where they make money. And that's maybe something that people would look askance at. So you start this list again, not deceptively in my personal opinion, but in a way that is designed to tilt people towards checking that box. Hey, we might collaborate with nonprofits. Everybody loves nonprofits, academic institutions. Everybody loves their favorite research institution. Go University of Michigan, go Wolverines or pharmaceutical companies. Hey, you don't all love big pharma. Well, fair enough. We got to put it in the list, but we'll put it last. 23andMe research may study a specific group or population, identify potential areas or targets for therapeutics development, conduct or support the development of drugs, exactly what we're talking about today, diagnostics or devices to diagnose, predict, or treat medical or other health conditions, work with public, private, and or nonprofit entities on genetic research initiatives, or otherwise create, commercialize, and apply this new knowledge to improve healthcare. So yeah, we've got all this extraneous language talking about nonprofits, academic institutions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the ultimate operative thing that you are allowing them to do if you check that box is to allow them to research both them by themselves and with other parties, including commercial parties like pharmaceutical companies, and you're allowing them to commercialize that data, meaning that they can sell it, meaning that they can do what happened here. There is no no claim in this video or otherwise that they don't have the rights to do what they did with respect to the licensing that they entered into earlier this week. That seems to be pretty clear in the contract language that I have seen with all the reports that I have seen on this specific topic. The question is, is the language that they use deceptive? Because we're going to go back to the terms of service and we're going to see how they specifically disclaim that if you check this box, you are owed any money from them even if it's orders and orders and orders of magnitude higher amounts of money than you would have expected them to make on something like this or that you would have expected from buying a $200 kit from them. So what you've got here is an issue of potentially claiming that the contract is in and of itself deceptive, that it's early enough that people weren't really paying attention to the data that they uh, were giving away and potentially what this consent box looks like. Now, here's where I have to apologize. I went, I looked at the 23andMe website and there was no way for me to find out what this box actually looks like. It says you have the choice to participate in 23andMe research by providing your consent. Presumably, it's a box that says, you know, would you like to allow us to use your research? It might even be pre-checked uh, and probably links out to a description like this one describing what 23andMe research actually is. Might have some language there that talks about how it's going to be useful to improving health outcomes for people around the world. And the reason I suggest that it probably says something like that is because of the amount of success that they had. So I've pulled up another press release that they had from 2018 that's talking about a partnership that they entered into. And in this partnership, uh, they actually talk about why this database is so useful to be licensed. And they say, support identification of patient subgroups that are more likely to respond to targeted treatments. Scale is critical for the detection of genetic effects in smaller subsets of diseases and patients. With over 80% of 23andMe's customer base consenting to participate in research, their aggregate and de-identified data could help enable the discovery of a significant number of novel associations from a diverse range of people, which would not otherwise be possible. So the, the main takeaway there is 80%. So generally when you see a number that high, my assumption is it's probably opt out and not opt in. 
and it probably has some useful language, much like they put in their terms of service and their privacy policy, that suggests that this is an overall societal good and maybe downplays the lack of commercialization for the individual user uh, as an aspect of checking that box. Because ultimately, if the box is pre-checked and it says, you know, would you like to help contribute to 23andMe solving health outcomes around the world by participating in the 23andMe research program? Probably if you're just buying that box and you're only interested in your own health outcomes and your ancestry data, you're probably not unchecking it because you didn't really have any way to monetize your own genetic information just on your own. Scale is the issue here. And maybe you don't care. Maybe you think it's overall a good thing. And certainly if you have purchased 23andMe, if you have that account information, if you have seen this box, if you have seen what it looks like, how 23andMe sells it to you, absolutely leave a comment in this description to this video telling me exactly what it looks like, talking to me and others about what your experience is with it. And then also, if you've just purchased 23andMe, you don't remember checking or unchecking that box, tell me how you feel about this, how you feel about their use of this, whether you have any issues with it, whether you're absolutely fine with it. You know, thinking about it, I, as I said, I'm not a customer of their service. I don't know that I personally would have an issue with it because I wouldn't have an expectation of making that money. Uh, but it is an interesting thing because it does seem to be kind of de-emphasized in the language that they use. And we have one last bit of language here to discuss, which is back in their terms of service. And it goes a little bit like the following. Genetic and or self-reported information. Disclosure of individual level genetic information and or self-reported information to third parties for research purposes will not occur without explicit consent. You have to check that box. Note that 23andMe cannot control any further distribution of genetic and or self-reported information that you share publicly on the 23andMe website. Hey, if you say it, that's not on us. You acknowledge and agree that you are responsible for protecting and enforcing your rights and that 23andMe has no obligation to do so on your behalf. Hey, we don't have to lock up your forum posts. We don't have to give you extra protection. We won't tell somebody, but if you tell somebody, that's on you. Your saliva sample, once submitted to and analyzed by us, is processed in an irreversible manner and cannot be returned to you, which, you know, gross. I don't think anybody wants the saliva returned to them, but hey, it's always good for the lawyers to kind of think these things through. See our website for more information on sample processing. Any genetic information derived from your saliva remains your information, subject to the rights we retain as set forth in these terms of service. Said another way, they are not claiming ownership of your genome, which is good. We wouldn't have assumed that they were, but it's always nice to have the disclaimer. But here's the kicker. You understand that you should not expect any financial benefit from 23andMe as a result of having your genetic information processed, made available to you, or as provided in our privacy statement and these terms of service, shared with or included in aggregated genetic and self-reported information shared with any research collaborator. So here we are, you know, fully halfway through the terms of service on this last line of this section that doesn't necessarily really talk about personal commercial benefit not highlighted, not underlined, not in bold, not in caps, doesn't talk about that box that you have to check very specifically at all, but it says you should not expect any money from us for anything that we might do with it. Now, maybe that same sentence is highlighted and underlined and in bold next to the box that you have to check to give this explicit consent. Unfortunately, because I didn't purchase their kit, because I can't get access to what it is that you might have to do to give that consent, I can't say for certain 
what that looks like. I have certain expectations based on how these are written and based on an 80% pass-through rate that that's probably kind of downplaying the commercial aspects of the whole endeavor, but I don't have eyes on that, so I can't answer that specifically. What I can say is, while contractually effective, this sentence does basically disclaim your rights to commercial use of the uh, of your data. It would depend a lot on exactly how highlighted this is for people of specific sophistication levels. So we've talked about it in virtual legality before. But while there is a general uh, move in the United States to honor the freedom of contract, to honor what you put in black and white in contract terms like terms of service, etc., when we talk about contracts that we would call contracts of adhesion, which mean they're non-negotiable and they're essentially attached to a different product or service that doesn't ultimately relate to the terms of service document itself. You're interested in buying the kit and getting that information back more than you're interested in this legal language, that it's just a, it's just adhesive to that service or product that you're buying. Then the courts are more likely to kind of re-examine certain aspects of the whole thing. So if people got together and if this drug wound up making $5 billion for 23andMe and a bunch of people got together and said it wasn't highlighted properly that we wouldn't make money off this, it wasn't highlighted properly exactly what they would use our data for when we checked that box. Hey, that box started checked, if it did start checked. Hey, they didn't highlight it for us in these different places. What would happen? That you could see somebody coming out of the woodwork, potentially creating a class and saying, hey, 23andMe, you owe us a portion of that money. Uh, because I'm a commercial lawyer, I'm a corporate lawyer, I tend to want to give effect to these kinds of things. But certainly, if this was my business model, and it certainly seems like for 23andMe it is, I would have highlighted this earlier in the terms of service. Obviously, you need a high percentage of your people to check the box to say yes to this. So that's probably why you aren't highlighting it necessarily if you're 23andMe. But I would be inclined to highlight it, put it a little bit higher, maybe put bold, maybe put it in. Uh, like the privacy policy has uh, bullet points that kind of describe what's happening in the document before you get to the operative language itself. I might be inclined to do those kinds of things for a question like this. But ultimately, I named this video, this is why you aren't getting a cut. That's the reason why you aren't getting a cut. Maybe you didn't have any expectation of getting a cut. Certainly if you're buying a kit from online and getting the information that you thought you were buying, there's no expectation that a big check is going to come from another company in the future. But maybe you didn't know that they were seeking to aggregate and sell this data. Maybe you didn't know that that was one of their end game business models. Uh, for somebody like me that deals with pharmaceutical companies, that deals with life sciences and venture capital and in this area, I think it was somewhat clear that that was always going to be a direction that they moved in. But I certainly don't ascribe that knowledge or information to everybody that might otherwise want to buy a product from them. So I do think you have an interesting legal question about sophistication levels, about how much something needs to be highlighted in terms of service, about health ethics and things related to it. You know, we're only now kind of talking about the Gattaca future, about what you can do with genetics information. And if you were going to sell this to research institutions for any commercial reason, which they really reserve their, to themselves the right to do, where does that end? It, doesn't end just with drug development. They talk about therapeutics. They talk about diagnostics. Uh, and so do they have some obligation, either ethical or moral or contractual, to talk to their user base about who they sign up to licenses with and things of that nature? It's an open question. And 23andMe is one of those companies that is right on the bleeding edge of all these kind of technological, legal, business, and ethics questions. And so I like following them. I like following them in the news. Unfortunately, I don't have any good answers for you other than the fact that they do absolutely disclaim that they have to owe you any money on this. 
Doesn't mean that a judge couldn't come in, use equitable principles and say he didn't highlight that issue enough for them. You have to start splitting something of this. But that is certainly going to be an open question now into the future and for medical ethical professionals on this issue and many, many others coming up in the 2020s. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you found it insightful and interesting. If you liked it, please like, please subscribe, please share it around with anybody that you think might be interested in this or the other kinds of things that we discuss on the channel. We just talked about Sony dropping out of E3. We've talked about COPPA and YouTube. Fair use, copyright infringement, extortion, and a whole bunch of other things just this past week in virtual legality. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.